Bugs are arriving. They're looking great. They nearly didn't arrive. Nearly didn't arrive. Oh, why? They get so lost. You were, so we split this. You were in charge, having done the original mug. You were in yes. charge of getting the mug sorted, the actual mugs. And then I said, well, why didn't you send them to me? And I'll post them out to everybody. I thought that was straightforward enough. I thought we were on the same page. <laughs> then one rainy day last week, I couldn't imagine it being heavier rain. There's a knock on the door. There's a very grumpy looking postman who sort of thrusts a box towards me. He said, is this you? <laughs> and I said, I said, yes, it's my name. He said, it's the wrong address. I said, yes, it is. It is the wrong address. So I went to take it. And he said, no, there are 30 of these. <laughs> At which point he took it and stormed off. So I opened the back door to help him out. Crates of mugs. It took me a couple of seconds to work out what it was. Crates of mugs start to arrive. Initially, with the address having been put down wrong, Naomi, 30 mugs were delivered to my heavily pregnant and not amused neighbour. Oh, why was she not amused? (laughs) She's preparing for a life-changing moment and a grumpy postman with 30 mugs started delivering to her door well okay <laughs> fine i'm pretty sure i put the right address in well you didn't it was it was it the, went wrong to the wrong address it was the right street see now we know why you never got your mug you just put your wrong yeah. address down yeah well i still never got that <laughs> mug but now i get one of the new ones so i'm uh, i'm on board with everybody well, else and delivered them to you so the postman ropes and a friend on the street starts bringing crates of these mugs chuntering all the while that he has to scan because they were individually box mugs well that's not my fault they really also just come in one big box <laughs> he said why couldn't they come in one big box the rain was pouring down and then after he's delivered the final mug i'm taking them out of the crate he steps back slips because it's pouring with rain <gasps> and lands on his bum oh no chuntering the while he said i've never had to do anything like this before <laughs> oh no he hates you <laughs> You've well, lost a friend. He effectively hates you because you put the address down wrong. No, hang on a minute. He should hate the company for not just putting it in one big box. I think he hates the fact that he had to deliver 30 mugs twice to a pregnant woman who wasn't amused. I did apologise on your behalf. I said it was completely your fault. So a lot of my packages do go to her when we're not in. She understands that. That's fine. But I did say on this occasion, it was your fault. <laughs> put the address in wrong. I'm very, very sorry. Right. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. I don't know, but does the postman... How many doors away was it? It was across the road. It was across the road. And one up. But how does the postman not know your name? How do you not know my address? Do you mean how don't do you not know your address? Don't blame the postman for this. He was just delivering the mugs, or the 30 boxes, to the address that was on the box. Yeah, but... On every single box. The postman knows that you're Gigi Salmon and where you live. He delivers your post every day. No, because... He delivers Gigi Salmon post every day to your no, house. because this He said Gigi Salmon... <laughs> Would you not have looked at it and gone, yeah, that's not, that's no, not right, it's over here? No, this came in a van. This was a different postman. It's not the postman that walked around delivering every day. This was oh, van it's like a courier. Well, there were 30 of them. What do you expect him to do? <laughs> well, all right. Manage. <laughs> I, just, I just about got them. I got them inside. The boxes weren't too, too wet. And they have started arriving. So I did not think they were going to be shipped individually. That is hilarious. I assumed, I, I, I didn't order them individually. I ordered 30 of them and I just thought that it would come in one big box of 30 mugs, right? That's what happens. If you buy multiple things from one shop, they tend to whack them in a box and 
and off they go. So that is a, a little bit ridiculous. But then helped us because they were already packaged up to, to be sent I out. I did. I was smiling when they arrived. I thought, this is perfect. Thank you very much. Exactly. So yeah, thank, you can thank over. me for that. No, wrong yeah. address. I started to explain to the heavily pregnant neighbour. I didn't want her to go into early labour because suddenly all these mugs were flying through the door. So I had to go over and make my peace across the road. Peace was made. You were blamed. But one thing we need to check is my birthday next month and then it's Christmas so you need to get my address right (laughs) (laughs) and I don't want another mug because I've seen I love our mugs I don't want to see another mug again oh no what I feel like I've been through too many mugs now they're great I think they look really good especially 30 of them all together in one time but they've been distributed now right we had some nice pictures come through on Twitter of people who've received their mugs yep UK mugs have arrived further afield will take a little bit longer can I just apologise in advance if if I'm doing a lot of sniffing through this podcast, I've got a bit of a cold, but we've just had lunch. We're working on the Paris Masters and there was something really... Sp- I just followed what you were having. Oh, and it's always there, a good bet. There was... Well, not really. There was something really spicy Yeah, in what we were eating and I can't stop sniffing. I feel my eyes are going <laughs> to start watering. It really wasn't that spicy. It had a little bit of spice on it. <laughs> It's quite extraordinary that you can't tolerate that. But as you were really eating, can't. as you were eating, you kept saying to me, "What is it that's spicy in this?" And I kept saying, "The sweet potato." And then you just chomp on some more sweet potatoes. Why is this really spicy? It's the, eat the rest of it and not the sweet potato. And then you just nailed through your sweet potato, and now you're complaining. It's not that I don't listen to you. I just, I just want to make. It's not that I don't listen to you. We are on day two or one and a half of Paris lunch in Paris. Lunch in Paris. How are you finding Paris so far? It's been good. It's been busy. Yeah. Long schedule in Paris. That's always what we're aware of. Six matches in a day. Yeah. So uh, that's on centre court. There's more matches on, but six in a row on on one court. So we can get some some long ones, but... uh, the court is quite quick so that does tend to speed up the matches somewhat but it's been good seeds are in action today we haven't had any seeds yet have we there is one now as we speak oh right okay the defending champion is an ex and i think the interesting thing for me about paris and i'm always asking you about this is just motivational levels at this time of the season because the holiday has been booked the holiday is is coming into sight the bags might be packed so for some of those guys it must be difficult or maybe it's not difficult. Is this what you do and this is what you love to do? I don't know. I, I'm split sometimes when I'm watching these matches. It depends sometimes on the year that you've had, to be honest. Um, there's nothing you can do about it. If you're a bit burnt out, a bit tired, a bit mentally fried, a bit already on holiday, as some of them are, there is just, there's nothing you can do about it. You can't sit down with your coach and try and get things sorted. Either you're ready to push for this time of year or you're not. And it is a, a part of the year, talked about it before actually, but not for a while, that players ranked probably outside the top 20 will be focusing on you've got uh, three periods of year does that make sense three periods of year that doesn't make sense at all there are three (laughs) three periods in the year yes that makes sense (laughs) oh man three periods in the year where those ranked probably 20 or lower will be really really focusing on of course there are other tournaments but to be able to pick up huge points uh, or to catch players cold I suppose so the, uh, the biggest one is Paris Masters that is number one it's through Asia and, and through to the end of the year post US Open a lot of the top guys might be injured might have wrapped up their season already Kane Shakuri wrapped up his season a while ago had to undergo an operation if you need an operation now's the time to get it um, other players just tired or, or, or whatever might be happening so you want to try and peak physically then because you actually do have more of a chance if you're playing well of going on a deeper run in a tournament and some people I think 
think about peaking physically in kind of the wrong way you want to be physically fresh if you think you can go deep in a tournament you, there's no need in, to be physically fresh if you're just going to try and win a match somewhere so for example myself ranked outside the top 100 playing in a grand slam there's no real need to peak for that because at best I'm going to win two matches or you something never know. you never you know you do never know and that could is could be the couple of weeks of your life <laughs> exactly and you do never know and that is an absolutely valid point but uh, you know you could what's the point in you can only peak a few times a year physically and what's the point in peaking for a tournament where you might draw Serena Williams first round or you might draw Novak Djokovic first round and it's something that, that players so who are not seeded for the times or the surfaces or the competitions that you believe you can go deeper I don't think everybody does this I think a lot of players will peak for the slam when I was playing I was that's what I never really understood the attitude was very much kind of like okay so you can be fresh for four tournaments a year which I always thought a bit odd because it doesn't seem a lot it's not a lot is it? I thought a bit odd because they do take your top 16 results in the women's top 18 in the men's but I thought well okay that's quite it's not a lot of my top 16 events that I'm res- relatively <laughs> fresh for but also it was always the lower tournaments where actually I have a chance of winning this event and picking up a big chunk of points talking about challenges or, or qualifying in, in the lower tour events those were the ones where they would say right well we'll train through these ones so I would win a match and then I'm in the gym lifting a lot of weights because you have to you have to you, you, you have to train at some point. You can't just not train when you're competing. You'll become very unfit very quickly. <laughs> so, um, uh, yeah, so then I was never really quite fresh in those events. But then you turn up to Roland Garros, fresh as a daisy, play some Spaniard, lose two and one. What's the point? You know, <laughs> so, I mean, what's the point? Play some Spaniard and lose two and one. That happened to me, and it was two and one. But I was proud of my three games, so yeah, you can just. It's crazy to think <laughs> that you will go into a tournament not fresh, and that and that's the plan. You know, it's quite hard yeah. to because if you go into so I'm freelance, so I work for lots of different people. Throughout, I hope I peak more than four times a year, <laughs> but when you're working for different employers every time you want to go and you want to be fresh it doesn't matter how tired you feel if you're say going working from one company to another if you've done a long run for ATP Tennis Radio and say I'm then going to work for Chelsea or the BBC for instance I want to be as fresh I can't take that tiredness into the next job I do because you want to I guess continually maybe not peak but maybe try and peak so it's it's strange to get your head round that there'll be some tournaments you'd go into knowing that you were just not in the right place for that tournament but that it didn't really matter well it's it's not about being in the right place you're in the best possible place but you you always have to weigh up long-term gain and, and short-term success that you know, you're always kind of riding that way sometimes it's about short-term success if you're in the Wimbledon final who cares <laughs> who cares what's <laughs> happening after that right that is all short-term I don't care how you manage to get if you're a coach you're saying I don't care how you manage to get over this line you just win like just try and win but the majority of the other matches it's not 100% about winning it's maybe 60% about winning and 40% about how you did it. And sometimes it's going to be a lot about how you did it and not much about winning and actually saying, especially when you're younger, it's much more about play the right way. The wins will come later. Even if we're losing first rounds, I know it sucks for a while. And as a coach, you have to manage that because once they start getting to four or five first rounds, you need to then drop down to a different level, try and get some wins. You can't just totally ignore the player that's in front of you and could get rid of all wins. So it's a very, very fine balance to... Um, to, to kind of get 
but yeah yeah it's uh paris uh the asian swing in paris is a big one for, for players to target and especially the bigger hitters because it's it's quicker quicker time of the year they don't get that much they, they have the grass as well but everybody's peaking for the grass really apart from possibly the Roland Garros champion who might be a little bit tired but now with the extra week they're probably doing all right <laughs> my eyes are actually watering those sweet potatoes were I don't know why you kept eating them they were <laughs> this is your own fault I have zero sympathy it sounds like I probably didn't believe that that was the cause of it I don't know it was just wow okay I can just about see you I'm so I'm squinting through <laughs> when Naomi and I are commentating together there's obviously it's a lot about the tennis it's why we're there but Naomi has this way of coming up with interesting not so interesting and occasionally made up facts would that be right <laughs> not made up it's loose so I operate in loose facts so this this will be, I'm sure, very interesting to someone listening out there. They can use this in a pub quiz or just when they're out for drinks with a friend. How many bananas does it take to stop your heart beating? Well, this is not my fact, though. I didn't do the research on this. We were having a conversation and I looked it up. <laughs> and the answer is 400. 400 bananas is too many. Yes, yeah, too many bananas. If you get you a little bit concerned that Hubert Hercatch might be overdosing on banana number five. Yeah, well, he'd eaten four. And what was quite sweet, he'd actually laid them all out in a line, hadn't he? As if he was keeping his banana skins tidy. But he'd eaten four. He was working on his fifth. And I, so I don't know how we got um, talking about it. Must have been a, an extra long sit down or something. <laughs> Who knows how any of these things ever happen. But I think uh, your absolute cracker was about sighing would, would that be true sighing yeah what what's the phrase if you don't sigh you die something like that it's if you don't breathe no that's not true <laughs> oh no actually that is true <laughs> but that is just a separate fact <laughs> that is a separate fact uh yes no that's one of my favorite facts at the moment um it, it does it require a little bit more context and a little bit more explanation but it is kind of true and when you were trying to describe it you got the context wrong you couldn't describe the words for the little bunch of grapes in your lungs and then you said actually it could be fake news <laughs> so well when our next match started we were just doing a lot of deep breathing just in case well yes your body makes you sigh multiple times an hour to keep you alive that's what it does focusing on Paris because we're covering Paris this week but have had I would say half an eye on Shenzhen and everything that's happening there because this is the best WTA players in the world right now who are fit and healthy going at it and boy are they going at it oh so good I knew it was going to be good the the field had a bit of disappointing news because Osaka's pulled out which is a a real shame but the highlight so far was the um, Andrescu and Halep match you've got to remember these players are playing for a colossal amount of money it is the biggest prize in men's or women's tennis across the ATP and WTA and that is on offer for the winner is absolutely extraordinary the level of tennis is amazing I think uh, Halep said it best every match is like a Grand Slam final you could be playing any one of these players in a Grand Slam final many of them have been in Grand Slam finals and won Grand Slams as well so it's just so competitive I just feel like everybody who's playing there is playing really well at the moment so I, I mean I, I actually was reflecting on the year that we've had on the WTA and what these players have achieved and I think without a doubt the top end of the game has been pushed to new heights I just you know I know we've had kind of an era of Serena dominating a lot and then other people maybe getting a look in here and there you know curbs nicking a slam and that sort of thing but 
now you've got a really nice kind of bunch at the top in the fact that you've got Osaka, Andreescu, Barty and Halep. I think they are easily the the best four players in terms of the level they can produce. And just looking back through the year, I mean, Osaka winning her second slam, two in a row after the US Open last year. Absolutely extraordinary how she managed that. Okay, she struggled a lot since then. Barty winning the French Open. Who'd have thought that would happen? Winning on clay, reaching world number one. It's been absolutely extraordinary. And then the final at Wimbledon, the level that Hallett produced, I've never seen movement like it. For me, that was like... Djokovic in 2011 taking the men's game to a new athletic and physicality that we hadn't seen before and uh, that was for Halep doing that it was just an absolute joke that final I don't know if this is controversial to say but it feels now that breed of player that you just named a handful of that tennis WTA tennis is going to be okay once Serena Williams decides that enough is enough and the racket is going to be hung up Oh, it's more than okay, really. Because for a while, though, you were thinking what happens when the the big names... I know Maria Sharapova hasn't been doing it now for a while, but she's still a massive presence. She's a superstar. She transcends the sport. Serena Williams is still doing it at the top level and transcends the sport. And there was a few people thinking, well, hang on a second, what happens when these guys decide they're going to move on to other things? Now, you don't want to say you're not going to miss them. You're always going to miss those kind of characters. But the game seems to be in really good hands now. Oh, it's honestly, it's so exciting. As I say, just reflecting on the 2020 year, for me, it's been the best we've had just in my life remembering WTA. And I'm sure people will have their own years that they think have been better. But, you know, I didn't even get to Andrescu's ridiculous summer and run and seven months with barely losing and whatever she did, winning a slam and and all sorts. But I mean, for, for me, Osaka has... Well, she managed to break through and do what people weren't doing, which is winning two slams in a row. It had been a long time since we had had somebody win two slams in a row or even multiple slams in a year. It had been Serena, but quite some time ago. Um, so that was kind of breaking new ground. And, and she started to put the idea, I think, in people's heads that like, OK, you know, there are players here who can dominate and can dominate with exciting tennis. And whew, don't get me started on the marketability of Naomi Osaka, because that was the question, wasn't it? No Serena, no Venus, no Sharapova. Who is going to be the the uh, the face? Who is going to be the one that, that Joe Public knows more about? And we talked about Coco Goff last week as well, how she's managing that. But Osaka, we thought, OK, right, there's going to be a lot of interest <laughs> coming into the sport. A lot of money as well, which is very important. And then you've got... Halep, who just over the last few years has just become physically on just a new level, just a new level. It's incredible to watch. And then we've got Barty, who plays with a variety that everybody's been kind of missing and and been hankering after. Uh, So it's great to have that style of playing, just have an all round sort of cool, well, cool chick, as she would put it. I don't really use the word chick. It doesn't sound right when I say coming from you. (laughs) She's a cool chick. I'm just sitting here listening, enjoying. She's a cool (laughs) chick. And then, as I say, um, getting to Andrescu, I think in terms of the mental side of the game, I have not seen that level of mental resilience since Serena and Sharapova, and I think it is at a level that they have. So you put all of that together... It's absolutely extraordinary. And then, of course, you've got the others knocking on the door. They'll always be around, Svitolina, Pliskova. Um, but I, I think that, you know, I look at somebody like Pliskova and I think she's had a great opportunity the past couple of years to take a slam. I'm thinking ahead to 2020, wondering, how is she going to do that? She's going to need to beat 
an Osaka, a Barty, an Andreescu, a Halep, you know, Kvitova or something like that. So I just think it's just leapt up in standard. Now at the Tour Finals, a big part of it, and we'll see this at the the Tour Finals at the O2, we've got them at Shenzhen at the moment, a big thing is about the marketing and the publicity and the eight players will dress up and they'll be standing by various things and there'll be there'll be dinners and press conferences, etc, etc. So Sarah, who is the owner of a mug, and she has tweeted a picture of herself holding said mug, wants to know, I don't know if you know the answer actually to this one, who chooses what the players wear to these kind of ceremonies, talking specifically around Shenzhen, and they're all dressed up and looking lovely. The players, tournament stylists, sponsors, there are always some questionable choices. <laughs> strong choices, I think. Strong is okay. Strong, strong is okay. But you look, I mean, fashion is taste, isn't it? So people can say what they want, really, I, I guess. Yeah, there was a, quite the collection of dresses at the photo shoot, wasn't there? Um, I think most of them will have a stylist, to be honest. Do they? Yeah, well, I mean, I know that Joe Contas had a stylist for a while. Um, whether she still is working with her right now, I, I don't know. But, uh, I, I mean, Osaka will for sure. Uh, I'm sure Andreescu's got on board with that or, or maybe they'll pick it themselves but it's basically what they want or the team might get involved uh, whatever I mean they get offered dresses it's just like celebrities going to the Oscars or something it's a red carpet event there are dresses available you find one you like would you ever have a stylist I'm not questioning what you're wearing would I you look lovely <laughs> would you ever have a stylist you're upset about my woolen dress aren't no, you I love your woolen dress it's very nice it's very cosy and I it's commented quite chilly. on it when I arrived today I said that was lovely oh thanks but you gave me forewarning that you were wearing it not that I had to be prepared for you to wear a dress but yeah, because it's one of those things where I just I don't really wear dresses which is why I felt that you felt that you needed to tell me that you were going to wear it yeah I, I had to give you a warning like, well, prepare me I, I, I texted <laughs> Ben the other day he'd gone out to work it was before uh, I was on my way and uh, I just <laughs> sent him a message saying I'm wearing a woolen dress something must be wrong like <laughs> what's his reply <laughs> it was just I don't understand <laughs> like he was he was like is it something actually wrong is this, is this like <laughs> I don't understand what's I going on I felt a bit the same you said I've got a woolen dress and I, did, I thought are you just telling me do I have to say I said oh lovely <laughs> he said I'm going to wear it tomorrow okay I mean I, d- I didn't really know what you wanted from me <laughs> but it looks it's very exciting for me it looks lovely it's a big moment it looks lovely <laughs> do you Thanks. have or maybe I can ask our listeners I need some pumpkin recipes Halloween costumes are sorted by the way big pumpkin I have, I have, a, I have a pumpkin one is a pumpkin uh, the other is a dragon, which you wanted to be. But they went to do some pumpkin carving yesterday, and they were given a choice of six pumpkins. And my eldest chose the smallest pumpkin. It's 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 about the size of a, a little watermelon. His nice. pumpkin. <laughs> it's cute. No, no, that's lovely. The other one, <laughs> the other one chose a pumpkin that looks like it's been genetically modified. It's about the size of a satellite dish. Oh. It's enormous. And it's left us with an awful lot of pumpkin. But how did he choose that? He can't carry it. He didn't say choose it and carry it. He's oh, no, I think so. Just pick one up. That you you, you want a pumpkin, you, you work for it. it. and carry it. He did dig out everything. Okay, but now good. I've got a lot of innards of pumpkin. Yeah. I know what to do with. So pumpkin seeds, um, get rid of the flesh and yes. toast them off. Toast them. Dry them out, toast them off. Thank you. Um, and then, I don't know, eat them. Thanks. <laughs> we didn't need that much detail. Um, the rest of the pumpkin. I need some good recipes. Maybe people can send them in for. Oh, it's a lot. A lot of like pumpkin pump- pie, pumpkin soup. Probably just whack it in a blender. Pumpkin risotto. Just whack it in a blender. Then what I'm going to do? Drink it. Cook it. 
whack it in a blender and you've got yourself a lovely pumpkin soup. Maybe add a little bit of cream, I'm get fed up salt and pepper. Soup. Well, how if much I are you going to make? Wait, this pump, it's the size of a satellite dish. It's enormous. It took two people to carry it, two adults to carry it and put it in the car. Well, you shouldn't pander to that ridiculous selection. You had a choice. <laughs> <laughs> you say surely you can pick any reasonable size I one. wasn't there. I was with you, remember? Oh, right. Sorry. This is oh, oh, it's my fault. <laughs> Once again... <laughs> I should have looked. I, you know, I just knew when we sat down, you just had this really determined look in your eyes. I didn't. I was, you were annoyed about the I mugs. I was trying to you see. Annoyed about the delivery. I was trying to see you because of the spicy food I've eaten. My eyes don't stop watering. But no, it's 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 half term this week, so when all all the mums' school was sort of, they had that sort of look of terror in their eye. They they had what seven eight days coming up with children, and they kept saying, "What are you going to do? Have you got plans?" I said, "Oh, well, I'm, I'm working." I mean, the tennis calendar is the tennis calendar. It's sometimes inconvenient. It, it can be annoying. Other times it's wonderful. But all these mothers with that look of terror of, I have eight days with these children. What do we do? And I was like, well, I'm actually going to be working on the tennis. And as you said, Paris is quite long days because we've got the one main court, the, the two little courts alongside that. But what I love is the fact there's still stuff going on. There's still people playing for places in London, whether it's singles or doubles it's coming towards the end of the season some of them are kind of patched up and you can see them sort of thinking i just want to get through this is it i don't know when you get to the end of a tennis year season and we're going to talk about this so much more through the off season is it a little bit weird waking up that next day and you haven't got out to training or is it invigorating um i think it's quite weird because you because you're such routine creatures creatures of habit as tennis players you have a team around you you have a schedule you probably have menus to follow if you're at the top of the game and you know what you're going to be wearing every is it a bit weird waking up that next day and and it's a free day i mean i can only speak for myself i was very uncomfortable with any form of rest (laughs) it felt like it was a waste of time wow yeah so I, yeah, it was just oddly uncomfortable. And I was just thinking, and often when I was on holidays, I would still run and do things because I was worried about losing my fitness because I tended to lose my fitness a lot quicker than other people. And, uh, yeah, you just... I mean, a holiday is good. I mean, the first week of physical training is shock to the system. It's pretty awful because it does, even just in a week of not playing, it just or not training at all it just makes at least the first couple of days your body just kind of reacts it's not it's not nice uh, but it does settle it takes about a week or so and you'll be fine and it's so important you talked about having operations you've got to have them have them now it's so important to get and as you know working out in football it's so important to get that pre-season you see so many players who suffer throughout the year and football's a team game so they've got the teammates around them but you can tell the ones who haven't quite had that proper pre-season or they've missed it for whatever reason they're coming in and it just takes longer to get where you need to be and in tennis you don't have that much time because bang the off-season the pre-season's over and you're straight into the Australian summer yeah it's not a lot of time because you want to rest and have a training block and yeah you can't get enough rest or get enough of a training block for for what you want if you've played through to the end of the season which most players will be now with with davis cup so i feel like it's a little bit harsher <laughs> when i said uh, um oh if you need an operation like have one now as if it's just kind of like go shopping or something <laughs> i feel like i'm encouraging the whole of the the uh, atp and wta tour to have some plastic surgery <laughs> just in, in their about yourself now as is if, a good no, time. operations don't happen that often but 
unfortunately people do do have them and it you know like like Kei Nishikuri that you know what, when I said that I was thinking of Nishikuri because he was basically like look I need to get this operation I've got to get it done now so he went he went and had his procedure well, you have done. to factor things in as I say he wants to be and at the end of that statement from Nishikuri was plan to be back for the start of December and pre-season yes so he's sacrificing and he said he's really going to miss Davis Cup and representing his country with Japan and remember we've got the Olympics next year so everything's sort of tying into each other but for him it's important because next year is going to be an enormous year especially for likes of Osaka and Nishikuri with Tokyo staging the games that they're fit and healthy and so it's like it's like with your wedding despite the fact you don't play anymore you were still trying to figure out when to have your wedding so people could attend because you you were still thinking in terms of the tennis calendar yeah I I just don't think that'll ever leave me (laughs) it's just how I as a I think I've said before that's how I kind of divvy up my year it's pre-Wimbledon and post-Wimbledon <laughs> that is that, an off-season that's it three three periods of year you've got a hundred periods of year oh, again? again really <laughs> it's not a saying it's not why a have I said it again I don't, don't look at me it's periods in the year yes I don't know three parts of the year I don't know periods blocks, of the year blocks length of time blocks I'm going to leave this to you you've got your honeymoon coming up soon I have yeah that's at the end of the season that's oh, my off-season of course it is <laughs> That is my off season. Yeah, that was it. Married after Wimbledon uh, and honeymoon uh, end of the season. Literally, the day of 10 p.m. the evening of uh, Davis Cup finals is when we fly. Really? So you've timed <laughs> that. You've timed that perfectly. So I'm just going to have to try and track you down on your honeymoon. Yes. To do some podcast recording. Yeah. It's worked out okay. We, 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 I was looking at the schedule. I think we'll, we'll be all right. We, do we have an off season? Well, oh, from from podding. Um. Well, people will find out. <laughs> you will find out well, I've made all the decisions yeah. it's nothing to do with I you I feel like even the fact that I live at a different address than, <laughs> than the one I moved than the one I moved into but I'm really no I'm really happy that the mugs are the mugs are getting out there and if you do receive one send us a picture of your mug I was just thinking you don't have an off season because you've got football football's yes. quite if, if you didn't know football's kind of quite busy in December but football, football, <laughs> football is busy, and the Champions League, which I will be working on next week, that runs until about mid-December. It, it, no, it, it's it's very busy. But I would say since I had the twins, from working Christmas Eve, sometimes Christmas Day, because the players normally train either in the morning on Christmas Day or in the evening, and then they travel and go to a hotel because they play on Boxing Day. And then Boxing Day, and then there's the matches on New Year's Day, which are very difficult if you had a good New Year's Eve. Since I had the boys, I've pulled back a little bit on that side of things, because otherwise, you're right, crossing the two sports and football and tennis, it doesn't stop because the tennis is busy through the summer, so you have a little bit of quiet when the football season is, but then football pre-season begins. So after Wimbledon, when is normally a time when you got married, that's when football pre-season's kicking. from Joe Salisbury this week between yes what a joke amazing best shot I think I've ever seen amazing I think I'd like put that up there with like best ever really I can't think of one that's Reggie Graham couldn't believe it he sort of saw it fly past and turn round Joe Salisbury big grin on his face it's got to be up there I think I'm, now that I've said that people are going to get annoyed aren't they um, but <laughs> they're going to have, have some counters to it I'm, I'm sure but in your opinion it's one of the best you've seen yes I think it is, uh, well, it's just, yeah, it was so good. It was a tweener from the very back of the court with angle, pace. It was almost unbelievable. Didn't know you could hit a shot like that. 
seen some dodgy attempts so far in Paris. I don't know if people are just tired. The tweener. Yeah. Yes, my necessary attempts at then <coughs> while pair. When it when it when it goes wrong it's awful. <laughs> it's when it, it's yeah. but you said when you when we were in commentary, you said you just keep trying it because you know that if you pull it off, like Joe Saws, we're not saying he does it all the time, but it's spectacular. Well, you have to do you mess put it up, up with a the lot, rubbish ones just to you get the spectacular. To. Or do you just, I think I just, if I was a tennis player, I'd just avoid it altogether. Hang on a minute. I mean, Benoit Pair has hit a lot of brilliant tweeners and some sensational shots. He's hit some horrendous ones as well. So I think you've got to take the rough with the smooth. Do you ever do a tweener? No. Much? No, I never hit a drop shot. Oh, yes. I remember this. is this. a fact. I absolutely love it. In because you couldn't, didn't want to. All of those things put together. <laughs> <laughs> couldn't do it didn't want to didn't want to know how is it weird that a tennis player doesn't know how to hit a particular shot is that weird Shouldn't no you not all the shots in your armory they <laughs> might not all be up to the level of say your big lefty serve but shouldn't you have all those shots that you can produce at varying levels nowadays yes back then not really it was very much in the era of power was winning and uh yeah didn't need to I didn't really come to the net I only came to the net accidentally <laughs> to be honest I'd get to the net and think why on earth am I here <laughs> and swiftly okay. lose the we, point oh okay oh no no I didn't win many points but then the you net. don't go away and think right I want to work on that side of things I find that quite weird But the, or do you just stick to what you're good at but then yeah um, well the difficulty was I had coaches give up on trying to teach me those particular things oh yeah I remember volleying that uh, was tried by a number of coaches <laughs> were you were you quite difficult person to coach or easy so will you say uh, Dominic team who I imagine is the most receptive person he takes everything on board even if necessarily doesn't agree with it he works on it he makes those changes or I'm trying to think of the other side of someone who might be a bit difficult or were you someone that maybe necessarily wasn't too receptive to change slash advice I was very easy to coach within reason as in you have some players that are easy to coach because they're so versatile and they can do all of the shots so then you just talk to them about which shots to use when and, and how to do things uh, and how to maximise what they're doing so they're really easy to coach because any sort of tactic you want them to use they can just do it so you say serve volley they'll say ah, okay it's not really how I do things but I can do it yeah. you know, or, or you say play a lot of drop shots because they don't like moving forward they can do it play more to the backhand play more to the forehand whatever it might be um, they can execute the tactics you ask my game style was quite specific <laughs> so <laughs> I, it was a you know, quite aggressive I had a flat backhand lefty forehand my whole game kind of went into the backhand side so if you told me they've got a weaker forehand which most of the women do and that I needed to play more into the forehand um, I could do that but it, I would not play very well because that was just kind of me going to, to my weaknesses so I was really easy to coach in a sense that I would do anything that was asked of me but my game style was quite specific, so I was always very receptive to information, but it was just never going to work unless it was kind of within the parameters of, of my game style and my capabilities. So if they said, in this match, I want you to drop shot at least, I don't know, three times a set, would you listen, take that and give it a go, or would you think, she's not going to do it? Um, well, <laughs> if, ever, quite, if be, any coach out there says, I want to see three drop shots in this first set. Uh, no, people would say that. Yeah, if you're playing it, somebody who has slow forward movement, that would be like a, an aim. Probably they'd say, I want to see one drop shot a game in the first oh, three wow, games okay. or something. Yeah, absolutely. That would be a, a target. It would not be a target given to me. <laughs> <laughs> it would, uh, yeah. I mean, I would do it, but I would very much question our relationship moving forward. <laughs> 
literally moving forward. <laughs> yeah. Because the trouble is, is that not only am I not particularly good at drop shots, but if someday I just happen to gain a huge amount of feel, because I've never done it, I don't know what to do after a drop shot. So I just stand in the middle of the court and they're just... I'd get done every single time because I, I wouldn't know where to move to. Now, talking about, you said, I'm not sure how our relationship would be moving forward because you are the boss. And yes, of course, coaches can leave players, but you're ultimately employing this person to work with you. We were watching <laughs> Andre Rublev play Joe Wilfred Songa. He's a very intense being, Andre Rublev. His team, largely, we've seen an awful lot of him throughout the years. They're fairly relaxed don't really make eye contact they're not the jumper up and down they're not the Andy Murray box who are up on the feet and down and up and down now Andre Rublev had taken the first set things were then not going very well for him he wanted something from his box <laughs> he was literally doing the motions with his arm to lift them out of their chairs as if to say stand up and he kept doing it and he kept doing it and they wouldn't do it and I was chatting to you he's the boss so surely you do what the boss says. It's a weird dynamic uh, with players. Very rarely are you in a situation where the player is actually viewed as the boss within the relationship in the team. It is strange because the player can walk away at any time and it's a weird vulnerability you have as a coach in that I mean, you can get fired at any time with not a lot of notice. Okay, some people will have weeks worked into their contracts, but ultimately... You know, if you get fired the week before Shanghai, you're not going to go to Shanghai. <laughs> so you are at home. And it happens very quickly. And actually, sometimes the first we hear of coaches not being with players is when they turn up at some sort of academy or they're somewhere where they shouldn't be. Or, no, weren't you supposed to be in Shanghai? And, oh, no, I just thought I'd hit with this 12-year-old instead. <laughs> That's not right. So... Um, it, you are in this kind of vulnerable state, but coaches going on to the tour understand that. Players understand that. Players are very vulnerable. If they start losing, you know, they start not earning much money. If they slip out of seedings, you know, their lifestyle could dramatically change. An injury, whatever could happen. There's a lot that's out of your control as a player and a coach. It's a, it's just, it's a, it's a very unstable job to be doing. Unfortunately, it's not like having kind of a, a, a standard job with employers, employees' rights and all that sort of thing. But isn't part of the job description to give them what they need. And at that point, if he and he did it three or four times, literally with his arms, trying to lift them out of their seats, they didn't budge. One fella in the middle did a little fist bump. Everyone else looked down at their feet. There was hardly any clapping. If at that point he's thinking, I've got 99% of the crowd against me because it's a French crowd. I've got Songa in the ascendancy. I want you three people to just jump up and say that was great. Are you as a coach, is it not your job to be giving them what they need at that time and making them feel better about themselves, giving them the confidence. It's not your job to give them what they need. Your job is to do your job. So uh, when... Just to give them what they need. No. <laughs> I see what you've done there. <laughs> no, so at the beginning of your relationship, you will check back in probably each year, each season, each block that you sign up for. So if you want to do the 2020 season with somebody, you will have a conversation, you will discuss goals, you will thrash it all out. You will be completely honest with where you're at. You have to be because you'll get found out along the way. That's where we get splits. We get disagreements because somebody wasn't honest about what they wanted and what they needed because sometimes players kind of say what they think the coach wants to hear like yeah 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 no I want to I want to get really fit and you know I really want to be good out wide and then it comes to training they say great we're going to do a thousand wide balls and they say ooh that's not really what I want to do <laughs> so um, you, you get those sorts of, of difficulties but no it's all arranged before you start together everybody's happy with the goal so 
the coach's job is to get you to your goal. The coach's job is not to get you through this match. The coach's job is not to be a cheerleader. The coach's job is not to tell you what you want to hear. The coach's job is to do the best they can possibly do to get you to the goal that you set out. And whatever that, that might be, it might be ranking based, it might be playing level based, it might be happiness based. You just don't really know. It might be fit and healthy, whatever that is, that's your job. So along the way, you can say to the player, no, no, I'm not going to stand up and be a cheerleader. I don't even agree to that. I agreed to get you to your goal and me cheerleading makes no difference. But then it's just an easy thing to quickly stand up and applaud. But you, <laughs> It would have taken him two seconds to stand up, clap his man. I'm not sure Rublev would have then burst but firstly, out that's smile. not the sort of coach that... But if it's just winding your player up more, it was winding him up more that he was getting nothing from his box. But if that's his player's that problem. The pro- why, why on earth are you in a situation where you're in a third set and the player is spending 80% of their energy being wound up by you. They shouldn't be concerned with what you're doing. But you just standing up for one point, one second, little fist pump, it might dissolve everything. And then that focus, which was unnecessarily put onto you because you're not standing up cheering, would have dissol- you would have diffused a situation. Yeah, but it's, it's an individual sport. It's down to you. It's your choice. And, and that's what... It, it depends what sort of coaches you... There are, I could name loads of coaches that really are cheerleaders. They jump up and down. They roar. They're fist pumping. At the end of every point, they are locked in eye contact with their players just to give any sort of reassurance. Rublev's coach is not like that. Vicente, he's not like that. It's not what he does. It, it, that's not what Rublev signed up for. And, and he knows that. So he can ask all he wants, but it, that's not going to happen. I just find it's interesting that, and I get that Fernando Vicente, it's not his character. And he's the same in all matches. But it, it just surprised me when someone is getting themselves so wound up. I know it's the player's problem and it's his problem to solve that you just wouldn't stand up quickly or do something to try and diffuse that situation in that second. It doesn't mean he has to do it every point for the rest of the time together. Just a quick, yay, that's what we want. And everything might change. It might not, but isn't it worth just quickly standing up and sitting down again? But what was interesting is that not only was Vicente not standing up, he was also kind of, you know, it looked like, I can't put words in his mouth, but it looked like he was almost getting the other couple of people in the box to not do anything it as did, well. Because the he was trying to keep everyone who, fist, quite, who yeah. did a little fist bump, he then did nothing and put it sort of looked like he was tying his shoelaces yeah. for the rest of the match. Yeah, he <laughs> was trying to keep everybody quite contained. And now that is a decision that a coach makes. A coach is the person who can, without emotion they can see what you can't on the court I mean you get so wrapped up in all sorts on the court when you're playing and the reason you have a coach is so that they can give you a different perspective he was just employing his different perspective which was you are wound up you are very emotional the last thing you need is me jumping up and down I've told you a million times I'm not going to do it anyway you need to calm down think about it and execute the game plan we spoke about before the match and that's it right and and that's look again I'm putting words in his head but that's what I would be thinking sitting there. That's what I would then relay to players at the end of the match because then, okay, so say he loses that match, then after the match, you have that exact conversation and you say that your focus is completely on the wrong thing. You were deflecting. You weren't thinking about the match. And okay, so today you were focused on me. That was what you were deflecting to. Tomorrow it's going to be someone in the crowd that you're annoyed with. You're going to deflect that. We look at somebody like Kyrgios who deflects all the time. It's either the umpire or the ball kid or the lion's judge or the crowd or the this or the that. It's, it's his own team. It's anyone apart from his opponent most of the time. Occasionally it's his opponent. But is in, okay, so it's one thing today. Or well, what's going to annoy you tomorrow? What's going to distract you tomorrow? <laughs> My phone has just told me he didn't find any appointments for today. Ooh. 
Creepy. I didn't ask my phone to find me any appointments. Wow. It just decided to tell me. Maybe it wanted to get involved in the podcast, get involved in the chat. I, mean, I, I don't understand. All I know is that if you were... So I have no appointments for today, which is good. I'm good. going home. <laughs> Days free. <laughs> I'll do it by myself. Days free. We've got five more matches. See you later. <laughs> but if, if you were my coach, you would give me nothing on court, would you? No, no, not nothing. That's not true, but... But you would give me, you wouldn't, you're not, you're not jumping up and down person, would you? As I was saying before, your phone rudely interrupted. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Have no appointments for today. (laughs) It's, um, it it is about learning for the long term. Riblev is still very, very young and, and he, in that moment, needed to stop whatever was frustrating him. He needed to settle, he needed to concentrate and he needed to work things out and go back to the tactics that were working and execute. He didn't manage to do that. So that is the conversation. Now, if he had ended up winning the match, he's not going to learn. Whereas now, after losing, that is going to hurt. Did he lose? <laughs> did lose. You're looking at me and really confused again. No, I'm pretty no. sure he lost. I'm just listening. <laughs> and, uh, I'm wondering what's happened to all my appointments today. Yeah. <laughs> now, see, now you're distracted. See, now I'm distracted. But it's give like me something. You've got to think about it like like being a parent, being a mother. Do you always just give your child what they want? Evidently, he gets the biggest pumpkin. Largely. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Or do you do what's right? If there's good cop, bad cop, I'm good cop. Right, okay. I'm always, I'm always being told off. So that's Don't it. give in. Don't give it to them. So basically, what we've learned is I'm not the right coach for you. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe we should just be friends. (laughs) 